Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 129 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. Between our Feelin' Film movie night session watching Sing Street with our listeners last Friday and tonight's discussion, and even next week's episode coming up. We might as well call this Music Appreciation Week, or two weeks, month, whatever. I guess we're getting getting into that. But uh, we're talking about the independent film Hearts Beat Loud, arguably one of our favorites of 2018. I'm Patch, and with me as always is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I am here. Very unmusical, Welcome. but I am here. Well, that's okay, because I'm... You're here for the podcast chops and not for the musical chops, so <laughs> I'm glad that we have that at least. Um, I'm excited to get into the discussion. This is actually one that's been on my radar ever since it came out. I was hoping we'd find a chance to get to talk about it, and knowing that you're excited to talk about it too just made it a lot easier to put it on the schedule. So yay, yay, yay. Before we get into that, why don't we do a little bit of recap about what we've been up to this week, Aaron? Why don't you get us started? Well, I would love to because... I've taken a little bit of a movie kind of hiatus in a way, comparatively at least, to the number of films that I watch on a regular basis. That is, you know, 10 plus a week. This last two weeks, I have been completely engrossed in the animated series Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm thinking you have not watched this. Is that correct, Patrick? That is correct. Okay. But did you know what it was? Yes, um, only because the recent film directed by M. Night Shyamalan got a ton of flack because of how much it deviated and how little it had to do with the television series. Okay, correct. And prior to this, that film, which is actually almost like eight years old now, it's crazy how much time flies. (laughs) I know, (laughs) it's nuts. Uh, that film was my only experience with this world and was partially responsible for why I've waited so long to check this out. To me, it was a Nickelodeon cartoon and I wondered why the heck everyone was just so in love with this and adults, not kids, adults are are praising this series as if it's one of the greatest things ever. Well, for some reason, oh no, not for some reason. I can tell you exactly why. A couple weeks ago, the announcement came out that Netflix is going to redo uh, this series as a live action. And everybody started talking about it for a quick little six hour, 12 hour period. And it made me remember that I hadn't seen it yet. And so I came home that day and I thought, I'll just take a flyer. Um, they have these episodes of the show streaming on nick.com. And so I fired up my browser, shot it over to my TV, sat down and watched episode one just to see what this was all about. And I fell in love with it immediately. It took one episode for me to realize pretty quickly, okay, there is a ton of potential here, uh, both in the world building and in the characters as they exist um, and in the emotion that was going to kind of be around the characters in this show. And I got off my couch and I drove to Best Buy and I purchased the Blu-ray series of this uh, because it's no longer streaming for free anywhere. And I came home and I just started watching it, Patrick. And for the last 11 days, I have tried to find as much free time as I could to kind of binge my way through the three full seasons of the show. And I wrapped them up uh, last night (laughs) in what 
had to be one of the most emotional experiences for me of the year. This series deserves every bit of praise that it has gotten. It is incredible. Uh, the world that they live in and the way that the magics work around it with earth, air, fire, and water, and the elements um, is really fascinating. And just, it's an epic story. I mean, it, it gave me a Lord of the Rings feel constantly. Because, yes, they're going on this journey. It's about this avatar, this special savior, if you were to call him, that is supposed to, you know, bring peace to the world from this invading person, this invading Fire Lord, which it's so similar to like a Sauron character. And he's a kid, you know, he's a hobbit, essentially. So there were so many parallels between he and then the journey. And he goes on this journey with a brother and a sister, which is which, by the way, creates an incredible uh, environment for storytelling when you have two characters of a group being related to each other. That's kind of unique. Usually you get companions on a journey that don't know each other. They're they're coming together because they have skills or whatever. Well, here we get a brother and sister, and that adds a whole new layer. But short story here is that I was blown away by it. Uh, it is some of the most emotional storytelling that I've ever witnessed. And I would honestly claim at this point that it is probably my second favorite world behind the Lord of the Rings when it comes to film and TV. If you asked me that, I, if you told me I had to give up Star Wars, Marvel, Harry Potter, Avatar, I, I would keep Avatar over all of those in a heartbeat at this point. I, the characters are wow. that meaningful to me. I think that they're that well drawn. Uh, there's not only emotion, but there's just a spirituality that's being explored. Of course, there's Eastern mysticism going on, but there's a ton of wisdom and also some really cool elements of Christianity that kind of come through whether they intend for them or not to or not to. So um, yeah, man, I, I love it. I wanted to immediately turn around and put episode one on as soon as I finish the finale. That's how much I was into this. So high, high, high recommendation. Now you can add Aaron's love of avatar to the millions of other folks out there that love it. So are you going to be checking out the TV series when it makes its debut live action? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely a little nervous about it. It's funny because I did not like the M night Shyamalan film just because I didn't like it as a film. Now I retroactively hate it. Like, I, I, I just, knowing what I know now of what these characters are supposed to be like and what I remember of what he did to them, it's, it's, it's truly awful. And I understand why people don't have any, any bit of forgiveness for him when it comes to that. So, yeah. Bad, bad movie. Wow. So, <laughs> in a lot of ways, wow. I don't even know how to respond to that. It's like, that's great and that's awful at the same time. You know, <laughs> great that you love the series and, Pretty awful that you now have gone from meh to how dare you to, mm -hmm. to a movie. But at least I'm how dare you over like the two hour movie and not the, you know, three season long, long form epic storytelling. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what about you? Have you been well, able to watch anything? Yeah, this this week was my chance to catch up a little bit on some of the new television series that are coming out. My wife and I are always curious on what's happening in the fall with uh, with the networks, the big three, essentially, uh, NBC, ABC, and CBS. And we don't have a ton of television that we watch. There's a couple that we both sit down and get real interested in. This Is Us, of course, has come back. 
and uh, The Flash will make its debut, I think, this coming Tuesday. Not quite sure. But we're always curious about new series that are making their debut because it's fun when you when you're interested in fall television like we are we we find it to be kind of fun to kind of gamble on okay what series are going to make it and what series are going to end up being canceled and we have like five or six that we put interest in and we usually by the second or third episode of each we're like eh never mind i don't think so but then there's one or two that kind of stand out and this is us obviously is one of them parenthood was another and um this last week we got a chance to watch the NBC drama Manifest. And the intriguing thing about this was not just the premise, but the fact that it was EP'd by Robert Zemeckis, Mr. Back to the Future, Mr. Castaway. And I like seeing big names on television series like this because when you're comfortable with how someone puts their hand on a story in the film world, you're really curious about how they're going to handle it in more of a long-form storytelling aspect. And so the premise itself is kind of cool. It's about this flight uh, on Montego Air, Flight 828. It was going from Jamaica to New York. And there is a brief period of turbulence that causes it to shake or something like that. What we find is when the passengers land, five years have actually passed between when they took off and when they landed and so it's got this flight of the navigator feel to it i don't know if i mean you know the you know the. so they were kind of were lost they were lost yes absolutely on a plane and that's <laughs> that's sorry that's what i thought about I was like, as soon as i saw the commercial two? i was like what can we do we've run out of ideas there's no crash they actually land safely and so or do what, they <laughs> sorry sorry I continue on I, I don't know about any i don't know about any flash forwards or flash sideways or, or flashbacks or, or whatever but check those writing know, credits quickly for uh jj yeah. abrams and uh <laughs> i don't see there i don't see a lindelof or a Q's, uh anywhere in the credits at this point it's like anytime we think about an airplane and something weird happening obviously we have to go back to lost <laughs> so but we watched the pilot episode and we were immediately drawn in. And more than anything, what it does is it it gives you, it's an ensemble cast, so you have a, a number a large number of of folks that are involved in this story. You have a main family that it centers around. There's a there's a voiceover narration done by the female lead who's really sort of narrating the overall story to us. But we also connect with her brother, her would-be husband, and that's part of the, the plot of the premise, like why that does or doesn't work out. And the the episode ends with the plane being explored and then something happening to the plane. Um, I don't want to say any more, any less. I mean, it's not really a spoiler necessarily, but essentially it sets you up to ask a lot of questions, which I think is great for any kind of pilot episode that has that kind of premise. And for me, I love the fact that we're not just getting the obvious questions explored, like, well, what will happen with this crew of people that are going to be five years younger than the people that they're going, that they left on, on the plane or whatever. So you have, you have a, a family of four, 
a brother who was nine and they are on this plane. And so when they land, he's still nine years old, but his sister who is the same age is now 14. And so there's that kind of dynamic. Um, but at the same time, there's this kind of weird thing that's happening with some of the main characters where they're starting to hear voices and they're starting to, but these voices are giving them instructions on things to do. And so they're being told, um, escape or let this thing happen. And so it's just this weird kind of like, what's going on? So like lost, like the pilot episode of lost, it leaves you going, what in the world am I in for? And that's good for us. I mean, my wife and I were like, Hey, Let's come back and see what happens. And I think that's really, really what makes a solid pilot for a show like this worth coming back back for. So I enjoyed it a lot. I talked to a couple of folks in our Discord chat room about it, and they seem to be on the same page with me. So if, if you haven't checked it out and you're interested in some new television, check it out. I think it's on Monday or Tuesday nights on NBC or just DVR it and watch it whenever you want. That's what we do. That's what we do in 2018, Patrick. We DVR and we do things on our own schedule. Unless you're my parents who have yet to get a DVR. They just have rabbit ears and antenna. They do. And an old CRT TV. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad that you're enjoying the fall television series while I will be enjoying drowning in movie reviews. That is for another day. A quick announcement before we move into this movie review, though, is... We want to say a huge, huge thank you to new donor Michael Vichy. Uh, Michael and his brother Scott are newer members of the Feel and Film Facebook group, and that's how we got to know them. They're really awesome guys who are very engaged and add to the conversations uh, frequently. And we really appreciate the support, Michael. Um, he was telling us <laughs> just this week, Patrick, how much uh, he enjoys the Facebook group, and uh, we're glad that our listeners are able to feel like they have this place that they can come talk about movies. All of uh, the links to the Facebook group can always be found in the show notes and then also in on the website itself. Uh, so if you're having trouble finding it, just check them and come be a part of that, just like Michael. Fantastic. Well, with that being said, let's get into our spoiler zone. This is where we completely spoil the movie and hopefully have a great discussion, which normally happens. So I'm not really worried about that. So if you haven't seen Heartbeat, Hearts Beat Loud, it recently dropped on digital and I guess DVD release. I know for myself, I was given a chance to buy it for a dollar on Amazon or pre-order it. And so when it, uh, when it dropped, I was really excited. So it's available there. I'm sure it's available on Vudu and all of your other digital streaming formats. So please go see it. And by go see, I mean find it and watch it and then come back and enjoy the conversation with us. That being said, let's get into our one-word takeaways. Aaron, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. Well, my one-word takeaway is heartfelt. And I think that someone should start a counter and find out how many times that we say the word heart during this podcast because uh, I suspect it will be quite a few. My reasoning here is fairly simple. This is a film that I've now seen twice And both times it has moved me emotionally. Uh, Anytime that a movie can do that to me more than one time, it kind of is elevated into this unique place because I watch so many movies in a year that rewatching films is just not something that I am frequently able to do. And for any film to generate that kind of response in me is definitely powerful. 
Um, I'm a sucker, Patrick, for any heartwarming father dynamic, father daughter dynamics um, that we have here explored. And I'm also a sucker for minimal and simplified coming of age type stories that take place over a short period of time and or focus on the growth of relationships or characters without having to have the need of this big, huge, epic conflict a la the TV series I just watched, right? So this became a great contrast to that. And then I also am a sucker for movies with music at the center of them, Hello, La La Land, (laughs) and or people singing frequently. Uh, Despite not having the musical background myself, I really enjoy watching and hearing other people do that. Um, Hearts Beat Loud checks all of these boxes for me, and it's in such a sweet, wholesome way that I am darn near smile-crying throughout the whole film. To use a phrase uh, from the film that we just watched with our Feel and Film members, Sing Street, the other night, this movie also makes me happy-sad in a lot of ways, and I love that. So to be totally ridiculous, I will just say that this movie really does make my own heart beat loud. Yay, and I think that puts us up to, like, what, four on the heart meter? I don't know. Five I'm hoping that someone at home is counting right now, and we'll come back and post in the group uh, on the, the episode post here in the comments and let us know how many total we get to. Heart, heart, heart. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, do you care to give me the uh, the over-under on that one if you want to? I would say at least 45. Anyway. Well, in line with what you've talked about, the word that I pulled from this is subtle. And I was going to use simple, I was going to use just direct, but I think subtle really sums it up for me. And I fell in love with this movie when I got to see it earlier this year. And and I was really sad that I didn't get a chance to see it soon after. Much like Sing Street, once it finished, like once I finished it, I wanted to immediately pop it back in and watch it again. Like the experience of it made me want to immediately go back and just experience it again. Like not because I felt like I missed anything because I wanted more of what I'd already gotten. And I was reminded of during this viewing of how subtle so many of the parts of the movie that stood out to me. And when it comes to that kind of subtle storytelling, it's a challenge because it, because it really requires the creator, the director, the writers, everybody involved to trust the audience And this movie isn't very long. We're not talking about a two and a half hour story that's being told here. I mean, this is like, what, an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. It's not very long at all. And that takes a lot to flesh out characters, to get us to connect with them in different ways. I mean, we're just getting introduced to them. And by the time we feel like we've gotten introduced to them, the credits are starting to roll. So I do feel like we're getting this slice of life, this moment in time that for me amplifies my movie experience because I think what Hearts Beat Loud does is it focuses, at least in some ways, on those moments, on this moment in time that these characters are living in and holding on to. And as an audience, I think that we're meant to feel that with them, that we don't have much time with them and therefore We've got to be able to, we've got to be able to hold on as tight as we can because when it's gone and the credits roll, at least at the time, we can't go back. We own it now. 
So I can go back anytime I want. But that still doesn't take away my affection for the movie. I, I loved it <laughs> equally as much this time around. And, and I'm glad that it's here. <laughs> so yay, four hearts beat loud. Well, I wanted to open up the conversation by talking about something that not being the – let me go back. Let me just say this. I've talked to several people about this movie, and I've championed it to several folks, and I've gotten mixed reviews on it. And you mentioned that these coming-of-age stories, uh, this in particular, was very simplified. And Hearts Beat Loud is one of those movies that – you could almost say is incomplete because one of the criticisms that came to me was that we got all these pockets of stories. We got all these little things and we're learning about Frank and we're learning about his daughter and we're learning about their, their mom and about her relationship with them and all these different things. And it could be argued that there wasn't a lot of resolution to that. I wanted to know what, really attracts you to this kind of slice of life storytelling. I mean, is that problematic for you? Is it, did it work for you? And how does that affect your appreciation or lack thereof for a movie like this? Well, the first thing I would say is that there are very precious few films that would give you everything about a character. So unless we're talking about The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, in which we literally go through an entire lifetime, there are always going to be pockets of information that you don't get. That's the first thing, is that I think because it is a shorter time period that's being focused on, that our minds tell us that relative to the bigger, meaning bigger time periods that most stories tend to cover, that this is small. But in reality, we're still only getting pieces of people's lives and events in people's lives. We're not getting full-on life stories almost ever, right? And even if we, we get the social network, take that for example. We learn about Mark Zuckerberg from the point that he is in college and discovers the idea to create Facebook up through, you know, Facebook becoming a, a big deal and being successful. But we don't get what's happening after that. We don't get what happened. We don't know what happened to Mark Zuckerberg in the third grade. You know what I mean? So there will always be things that characters do not have revealed. And I think we need to let go of a feeling that we need to have anything and just focus on what is provided to us. Um, I particularly love this and I, I love it primarily because it's different and it does not try to force conflict. Um, you know, you mentioned just now that some things you've heard is that they don't feel like there's a lot of resolution to the conflicts. I, I don't think that there's a lot of conflict to be resolved necessarily uh, in the sense that decisions are not necessarily always conflicts. Now, if we're talking about do we need to know if Sam ever became a successful musician and had sold a record, you know, that's not the story that we're trying to tell here. And so I think by giving us too much information, it takes away from the intimacy that we do get to experience with these characters over the course of just this one summer. So I don't care that not much happens because I like seeing how people change over that micro period of time. 
and how they can be affected by the events that take place in their lives on an everyday basis. I actually relate to these characters more than most because I'm watching them go through just this one summer of, con- of, of, you know, change of life together this season. And I don't need to know what happens after that. All I need to know is what happens when we get started and that amazing ending. Exactly. I look at this movie and I think it's a peek into a world instead of trying to give us completion. That's not the point. The point is not to tell us a complete... Yes, it's to tell us a complete story, but it's to allow us to feel like we're getting a moment in time here that we can relate to. Because as you mentioned, we're not all musicians. We're not all necessarily fathers or daughters. And that enhances our viewing experience. Something that I enjoyed about this in a similar way than what I enjoyed about Sing Street is the creative process. I mean, that is something that is all over this movie, especially when you get to the creation of the title track. And at the same time, that subtlety of the storytelling is less about being incomplete and more about just giving us enough that we can fill in the gaps on our own. And it allows us the ability to come alongside these characters instead of just watching them on screen. And that's that's really how I felt watching it both times is, man, these could be people that are family to me. These These could be people that I know from down the street, granted, this is like this really hip place in Brooklyn called More like down the Red street Hook. from where I live. Much yeah. More likely. Exactly. <laughs> I wish that we had a Red Hook Records down the street from where I live, but unfortunately, when you live in a landlocked state like Arkansas, you don't get a lot of the hip stuff. And we that's have a okay. Red Hook brewery. Does that count? You know, just add it to the list of things that I need to see when I <laughs> when I get there. <laughs> My heart would beat loud going to the Red Hook Brewery. <laughs> but I'm done. But <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I'm just trying to ramp up the, the, the hearts there. And so I didn't see that as an issue. I don't feel like I got a lot of starts and, and no finishes. I felt like I got enough to leave me satisfied and even want to revisit. Because like you mentioned, that wasn't the point. The point is the moments. The point is the thematic things that are going on between these two characters and their the supporting actors and actresses around them. But the biggest thing, obviously, is their connection to music. And we get that in that very first jam sesh. <laughs> Nick Offerman's great when he, when he says, I love that. And there's a moment when, when Frank tells Sam, he says, lyrics don't matter, meaning scheming. And he uses the Backstreet Boys reference, I want it that way. Want what? What way? Music is about feeling. That's an interesting statement. Again, we're not musicians. We are creative people. We have a podcast. I have some directorial experience and some writing experience that I'm obviously still trying to get better at. But I wanted to ask you, even without knowing the scope of great musicianship, do you think that's a true statement of what he's saying? That music is about feeling? Yes, I do believe that music is about feeling. Um, I think that the entire intent of music is to serve as another means of communication. 
uh, to relay information, and in this case, it's to relay a feeling, an emotional state. Um, and so it absolutely is about feeling. Um, <laughs> Sam actually says later in the film that every song is technically a love song, which is another like really deep thing that I thought a lot about. Mm, um, yeah. I can think of some that probably aren't, but then you get kind of meta with it and you're like, oh, but you're in love with the writing of – you had a love relationship to write this piece of art and this song. So in a way, it is a love song. Like the, the act of creating it is a love song. Anyway, I digress. But yes, I do think that music is about feeling and I love that quote, not only because he mentions the Backstreet Boys, which is awesome. Um, especially coming from a hipster dude, like it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, you're like, how does, why would, that's not who he should be mentioning. I'm expecting something completely different from him. Um, but I do think that it's true. I think music is totally about how it makes you feel, or at least for me it is, um, you know, we, that's what we exist here to talk about is how movies make us feel. And a large part of why you and I both gravitate towards films that have wonderful scores or that are musicals in some form or or format is because it enhances our emotional reaction to the movie itself. And so, yeah, I absolutely think that's true. Yeah, there's there's a deliberate and healthy manipulation that takes place in a song. And there's reasons why we gravitate towards particular ones at any point in our lives, just like with a movie that affects us differently. If we're at a different place in our life, a song will do that same thing. There's a Peter Gabriel song called in your eyes that I find just incredibly beautiful, but it has three specifically distinct meanings for me because of when I experienced it at different pockets of my life. Like I can specifically identify, ah, I connect with it at this point in my life for this reason, at that point in my life for that reason, and even for a third reason because of something else that has happened to me. And I love that because it's the same lyrics, it's the same music, it's the same arrangement, but it means something different because of where I was when I listened to it. Dude, you're, you're so right. You, you're hitting on something that I actually pulled out of this film, the interpretation of songwriting. And you're absolutely on the nose here because I'm the same way. If I listen to a song, in a way, I'm looking for a lyric to connect with. And I might pull out one two-line phrase and be like, this song is written about me. Like, it's for me, right? Because, like, I'm connecting to that. And I feel like you wrote that song about my life. And so I'm trying to find a way to do that or, or it's happening naturally. And what I noticed about this film was how well it shows us that process. The fact that Sam and her song that she writes, the love song is specifically written about Rose and the rest of the songs in this. If you listen to the lyrics, like you can see very clearly that these songs are direct like uh, there are directly pieces of their life at the at the time right being put to music and then we tend to forget that i think at least i do when i'm listening to songs on the radio and i hear a love song i'm just thinking of it as like some made up words but 
some songwriter somewhere in many, many, many cases is going through a, an event in their life and they are using that particular song and those lyrics to express that. Like these are like real things that happen to real people. They're not just made up fiction all, all the time. And so I, I really noticed that in this one, how a song's not necessarily meant for me. It's not, but it's, it's awesome that I can connect to that. And it's similar to just any relationship. You know, if you told me you were going through some big trauma in your life and I was like, yeah, man, I've gone through that too. Then you and I are relating to the same thing. And there's a cool connection that happens there. And that's part of that emotion that comes from music for me. Absolutely. And there's a magic that comes from knowing those lyrics by heart. And when you know those lyrics by heart, when two people know those lyrics and they're singing them together, they're connecting with that song, but they're connecting from different places. And so there's this weird kind of duality that exists where if you and I were listening to In Your Eyes and it resonated with you in a completely different way than it resonated with me, but we're both seeing the song together, we're now connected as human beings to that song. Like we're in that together. There's a community that exists between the two of us in that moment because we're both singing those lyrics. I mean, you've been in a, when we grew up in the youth group, I, I don't know if those ski trips that we took, there were times when the song would come on the radio and everybody would start singing it because everybody knew the lyrics. And there was something cool about that. There was that camaraderie that existed. Well, imagine taking that and amping it up to like 10 or 11 because each person in that room or in that van not only knew the lyrics, but they all had a special connection with that song that was completely independent of yours. And so you've got this incredible community of people that are singing a song that they all know, but they know it because of different reasons. Yeah. And sometimes they don't have to know it because of different reasons. That experience of singing it with other people in the van becomes their connection. Like whether they have any personal connection to the lyrics or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where where Frank and Sam's relationship doesn't stem from, but I think it's accented by in the fact that they are creating the song. Yes, it's Sam's song, but one of my favorite scenes is the creation of that song because they're both adding to that actual composition. You know, Frank brings in bass and then Sam puts her vocals to it. And then you see Frank putting the drum track down they're putting layers upon layers upon layers. They are creating this song. It's their song. Yes, Sam may have written the lyrics, and she may have initially written the music, but it's their song. And it's the one that ultimately goes on to Spotify, which, by the way, I think that's fantastic that they're using this modern technology. And the moment that this movie ended, I went on Spotify, and I looked up We're Not a Band, Hearts Beat Loud, to see if it actually existed Unfortunately, it did not by We're Not a Band, but I believe the single did get released. Oh, no, the whole soundtrack's by... on Spotify. No, it is now. It was. It did not get released until a few weeks after, I think, oh, it okay. hit theaters. And so only the single was available. And so I was happy about that, even though it didn't say it was by, <laughs> it was by We're Not a Band. But that brings up a, a question I wanted to ask. Do you think that Frank was right in submitting it even though sam didn't want it to well yeah i mean that's that is a definitely a huge question and i think that 
different people coming from different parts of their life might approach this differently. If you ask my daughter, she might have a different answer than the one that I might give is what I'm getting at. So there's a reason that Sam sees it one way and Frank sees it another. I think that if I had to choose, if I was forced to say yes or no, I would probably say that he made a poor decision in releasing it without her permission, yes. I do not think that his desire to accelerate her career, even if it's completely devoid of selfishness, which it's not. First of all, it's not. Um, he has he has a dog in the fight, and that's okay. It, it, I don't think it outweighs his desire to see his daughter's talent expressed and witnessed by the public. So I think that that definitely is his highest priority, but someone has to have choice in their own artistic endeavor, I think. And so I would say there should have been a conversation that happened and she should have had buy-off and buy-in before that took place, even though it ends up in you know a happy result down the road. Yeah, it created some good conflict and entertaining conflict nonetheless. I love that scene in the... Uh in the coffee shop where he hears the song because that's what we would do. I mean, if we heard somebody, it's a, you know, when we hear somebody has listened to our podcast and they're like, yeah, I loved it when you said this or like, Oh my gosh, people are listening to us. That's crazy. Whatever. One of my favorite scenes. I think <laughs> it, it, it's great. It really is great. At the same time, Frank has taken a bit of her intimacy and has exploited it because they created the song, but it started with her lyrics, vulnerable, intimate lyrics. And while it is ambiguous to a modern audience like me or you who are discovering where the source comes from, to her, this is a diary entry. This is, well, two things are happening. One, the intimacy of her lyrics and also the intimacy of the creative process between her and her dad, because we get that kind of hint early on that this is something that they have done in the past, that it's a father daughter thing. This is not a, Hey, we should go into the studio and cut a record. No, this is just kind of what they do. This is the way in which they bond. And I think for her, it felt very exploitative because she's basically saying you took something that was personal to me and something else that was personal to me and you, and you've now capitalized on it. You've now put it out there for the world. Granted, it had some positive repercussions. So being right or wrong, I think, yes, he was wrong, but I think it allowed her to open up as a character, which was the intent by by the creative team here. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean clearly it works on the level of storytelling in this movie, but it, all things considered, it's not, it, it likely could have resulted in a much different ending or much different path for this movie. I mean, this could have created a serious, serious division between daughter and father uh, uh, and, uh, in, uh, in light of a betrayal because you're doing this thing and you're taking this, you're pushing what you want for her life onto her. And, and pushing it forward. Um, whereas maybe that's not how she wanted things to go. So yeah, I mean, it's, 
it, it's such a, and I, that's what makes this such a good movie. It's what makes it fun to watch and interesting is because that's what we get to see played out. Yeah. And we see an obvious tension here with Frank being motivated to almost revitalize his desire to be in a band. And that's, that's the obvious, like, Hey, reliving your youth, you pick up on that. But I think there are some other underlying things that might be going on with them. And this is where subtlety really starts to take shape. And I wanted to see if there was anything specific that you may have picked up on motive wise that came out of this viewing of hearts beat loud outside of his general motivation to want to get a band together and relive a potentially successful music career with his daughter. Well, when we first meet Frank, he's a jerk. And I think that that's interesting because our first introduction to him is him being rude to customers. He's smoking in the store and he's dismissive of their frustration about that. And I just immediately thought, man, this is a hurt person hurting people. Like that's, that's what this guy is. He is pushing out his, just his frustrations with his own life onto the people that are in this store right now. And, and so to the subtlety point, like it's such great storytelling because I picked up on it right away. I didn't need anything more than that brief scene to know that's where Frank was in his life. I think that it's way more than him wanting to be in a band um, and, and for me, it all kind of goes down to his and Sam's relationship in general. I think that's where his motivation lies. And maybe this is because this is what I pull out of this film as a father with a, a daughter. But I love the dialogue and the banter between them. And as a single father um, – who focuses on his kids more than dating, which is exactly what Frank has done and is basically sustained primarily relationship wise by the time he spends with his kid. This was so powerful. And I, and I think that that's where his motivation comes from because having something to share with your child and it, you know, whether it's music or whether it's like me and it's board games or video games. I mean, honestly, right now, my version of a jam sesh with my daughter is Pokemon Go. It doesn't matter what it is. It matters that you're doing it together. And I think Frank had a longing for that. And in a sense, motivationally speaking, not just for Sam, but for his, um, his wife who, who's now gone because Sam is the reminder of his wife. Sam is what he has left to remember his wife by. And so I really find his motivation to be very sweet. Uh, and I don't think it's at all about his own life and his own success and his own desire to be in a band. I think it, I think I'll put it this way, Patrick. I think that if Frank had the option to stop what he was doing in life and go out and be in a band by himself, there's not a chance he would take that, that it's about yeah. doing it with Sam. And so that's where it all lies for me. Agreed. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And it made me wonder, does Ashlyn call you dude? Does she No, <laughs> she doesn't. But I was going to tell you this. Um, I, some of these scenes, man, are so, so close to home. When 
she is scolding him for spending too mm-hmm. much money um, because he bought the band equipment when they were supposed to be saving money. That is so my kids because, you know, she says, I don't, I don't want to be in a band. And even if I did, I'm not going to be in one with my dad. And <laughs> she's saying it because people, people have to say that, right? Like that's the gut reaction, but you know, in her voice and you know, from her character to this point already that she loves him and that's not really how she feels. And this is what I would do. I would try to convince them and show them how cool stuff was so that they would let me keep it. I mean, I've literally done this with video games and other types of media where I've bought stuff and I've been like, come on, let's do this. Let's get into this. And that's what my point is, is like, it's all about finding that connection with your kid. And and so he took something that she liked and people do this in dating relationships too. You know, when you're first meeting someone and you're infatuated, if you find out that that potential romantic partner loves flowers and <laughs> like you're going to learn about flowers and you're going to want to like bring flowers. And that's kind of what he's doing. He's like, man, I got to jump on this. I have an opportunity. So his personality was a lot like mine there. I don't know. There's another argument between them that I thought was beautiful father daughter moment as well. That reminded me of my own life. And that was the one where they're having a conversation slash argument about not exaggerating the show history or draw. And that's what I would do. I would try and finagle the language around to make it make sense. And my daughter would absolutely call me out for it and be like, no, dad, that's you're you're literally lying. Like, that's what you're doing. You're not faking <laughs> the numbers. You're not fudging the numbers. You are lying. And, and so every time we got a scene like that, man, I felt I felt it so, so strongly. I just thought that this movie nails that relationship with her. But she doesn't that's call cool. me dude. She doesn't call me dude. What? And I wonder if, as funny as that sounds to hear Sam call Frank dude, if that doesn't say a lot about their relationship beyond just being a father and daughter. Because obviously he had influence over her growing up to fall in love with music. Yes, they come from a music, a musical family. But the influence has to come from your parents. I don't think that her love for music existed in a vacuum. I honestly believe, I mean, she's around, she had this, he had this store when she was born. And so that's all she knew. She knew that her dad loved music. And so there's definitely that aspect of, I want to be connected to my dad and my family. And therefore I'm going to try this music stuff out. And it turned out to be pretty amazing. But I think what the musicianship does is it equalizes them as people and when he encourages her, particularly in those scenes with the title track as well as the, quote, love song, which I know all these are love songs. And, you know, I guess it amplifies what what she's trying to say. But it goes beyond a dad trying to encourage his daughter and tell her that he's proud of her. I mean, he gives her legitimate reasons why. And that whole montage of them creating the piece, I saw two musicians, two creative people working together, not just a father and a daughter. And one of my favorite scenes is that confrontation when he tries to convince her to take that year off. And we know that it's going to get pretty hostile because at this point, the rubber's hitting the road and she's like, are you insane? Do you hear yourself? You're asking me to sacrifice college, my career, not my career, but my next steps because you want to be in a band 
And then he plays the mom card. Oh my. And, and I love her reaction. She goes, don't do that. That don't was my reaction course, too. I actually to the TV. I was like, no, don't do that. It's, it's so harsh because that's exactly what he did. He played the mom card. He was like, we got you to fall in love with this. And now I'm going to play that card. Your mother would have done this. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong because that's the ultimate manipulation of that moment. But I think that for the most part, their relationship has this interesting duality where they're both a father and a daughter, but also creatives trying to exist in the same space. And he wants her to get better at her craft, but I think he fights that. He fights that because he doesn't want to let that go. And that's, these are the things that I picked up on. I, I I love your perspective and what you saw from that because of your relationship with your daughter. And what I saw was wanting him to be, him wanting to be connected to music in light of the fact that his store was closing. So at the very beginning, we already get this sense of, oh my gosh, he's losing something. And now he's going to get a chance to hold on to a piece of music or a piece of that life because he and his daughter have this hit song. He's got this relationship with Leslie, the landlady, that seems to be blossoming into something to a point where she where she kisses him. And I have a personal issue with her, especially in light of what happens. I think that's, well, we can talk about that. But then he has this connection with his daughter that you mentioned even though she's going off to college. I mean, we mentioned that this whole story takes place, I think, within a two- to three-week period right before she's going to go off to UCLA. Man, that's difficult. When my son goes off to college or he leaves the house, maybe I'll say, great, finally. But I think more than likely I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, you're leaving. You're not going to be around anymore. But ultimately, I think he battles with wanting things to both change and stay the same at all at once, which is hard to do. It's almost impossible because he wants all those things. He wants to maintain that relationship with her. He wants to maintain that connection with music. But at the same time, he knows he has to let those things go because of life giving him these circumstances. I completely agree. And let me say a couple of things. One is, uh, yes, I concur with you on fearing that day. Um, I desperately fear that day. Uh, Frank feels like he, he's been outgrown by Sam. Like that's part of what is, he's trying to hang on to this moment, man, as long as he can. And I'm getting closer, you know, like this Saturday coming up, we're going to college credit, you know, information sessions and, and things like that. Like it's, it's there, it's happening. It's happened so fast and it's scary to me. I can't even imagine what it would feel like or what it will feel like when that child is going to be leaving the nest, so to speak, and going away, um, no longer needing you, no longer relying on you, man, it is, it is tough. It is super tough that what he's going through. And the other thing is regarding Leslie, I actually wrote something down about that because here's what I love about that scene. It is incredibly realistic to me. And, and this whole movie feels like, people I know could be experiencing these things or myself could be experiencing this. You're absolutely right that it's wrong. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And what I feel like that scene is showing us is the way that 
when you're talking to someone and you are bearing your soul to each other in an intimate manner, that emotions can lead you to being in a physical place that you may really not want to be. And that there is something very deeply affecting about being listened to about real life stuff. Even you and I as best friends, the majority of what we talk about is podcast planning or entertainment type stuff because it's just hard to find time to sit down and, you know, we have to make an effort and we do, um, to recap each other and be like, Hey, here's what's going on in like real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and that's powerful stuff when you actually talk to someone about real life and we don't do that in our relationships in 2018 very much. I think majority of them are much more superficial and fleeting than that. And so I feel like there's a, a vulnerability being explored here and, and not intentionally taken advantage of. I think that they just, they're, they're drawn to this place by that experience that they, they haven't had or specifically him, he hasn't been having. And it's, it's sweet and it's also scary because I feel like that's the kind of experience that can lead people to making incredibly poor longer term decisions, right? Or making much bigger mistakes. But I love that scene because it makes me think about all of those things. And, you know, if I was watching with my daughter, I could explain that. I could say, you know, here's, here's what you need to be aware of. <laughs> you can't let your emotions get ahead of you, uh, and, and take you to this place when you're not really ready to be there. So. That was my thoughts on the whole Leslie scenario. I thought it was a great addition to the film because of that, even though I don't like that, what she did <laughs> at all. Um, but when you were talking about like Carpe Diem versus what long-term joy, essentially, mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, I, <laughs> it kind of happens out where they get both right in this film, in a sense. Um, if we're talking about, Sam's relationship specifically, you know, she has to deal with this, I think, in a different way than Frank does because of Rose. You know, she meets this girl that, that she's very intimate with and this relationship that she doesn't want to give up, but she's going to have to give up if she leaves. And that's something that we've all had to deal with, whether it's romantic or not. Um, and how much you explore the carpe diemness of that time, um, I think is important. I think, I think what it shows us is someone who's Sam never really loses sight of her future, but she also learns to enjoy the moment and live in the moment. So I think in a sense, Sam does both of these things. Does that make sense? I think she's the most successful at both enjoying the wonderful happiness of the moment and also anticipating and experiencing that long-term joy but it comes with vulnerability and there are pockets of relationships pairs of relationships in this movie that give us hints at that but i think her relationship with rose is probably the most on the nose or the one that fleshes that out probably in the most healthy way you have dave who is Basically, Sam Malone. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I mean, this is this is Sam Malone all over the place because he's Dave a bartender, the bartender, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Sam Malone. But his relationship with Frank is a lot like what you were talking about, where Frank is relying on him to, whether he wants it or not, give him the truth. 
and and Dave is basically saying, look, we had our moment. My moment was Woodstock or whatever it was. Your moment was that. You've got to be able to let that go. And so there's real conversation with Dave and Frank. There are pockets of real conversation through the music, through the moments of performing and creating with Frank and Sam. But Sam and Rose's relationship to me is probably the most sincere, the most tender, I will almost say the most satisfying for me as as an audience, because I felt like that's exactly what you said. She got both. She was able to experience the moments with Rose in the most tender and honest ways. And at the same time, she was able to let that go and have to move on to Mm -hmm. get to UCLA. Like she could have chosen to stick around, but Rose wouldn't let her. That's what I picked up on it. Rose was going to say, was not going to tell her to stay. She never offered to do that. Sam was never, I don't think there was ever any question of Sam going to, that was going to stick around. But even if she had, Rose is going to be there to say, no, you're not going to give up the life that you want for this moment with me. Right. So it's La La Land, essentially, is what we see happening here. Is the, I'm not kidding. <laughs> exactly like, that, right. Yeah. The ending of, I mean, this is the same scenario here. And I love it because it's realistic and it reinforces that relationships are not always going to be for your entire life. Some are going to shape you and mold you and change you. And I guarantee you what we see of Sam's character is she is a better person for her relationship with Rose. And if it ends here and they never talk again, it doesn't matter. That doesn't take away from the change that it has affected in both of them. And also big kudos, 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 big kudos to uh, Brett Haley, the director, because in this age of movies, everything is sexualized. And I was blown away to watch this film and realize that this relationship was not put in that light. Um, you know, regardless of what may or may not have happened off screen, we aren't using sex as a way to show us connection. And what we saw between Rose and Sam was so much more satisfying. Great word that you use so much more meaningful and real and deep because it wasn't tried to be, it wasn't conveyed to us because of physical interaction. It was conveyed to us out of actions, which love is an action period. Yeah. There's a, there's a great shot and a great moment where Sam and Rose are on Sam's bed and they're facing each other. They're both on their sides and it's, it's just, it's a fantastic shot in general. And Rose says, Hey, let's do something fun tomorrow. And Sam goes, what? And of course, this is after we've gotten, again, the subtle nod to how her mom died. I didn't pick it up the first Wasn't told time, to, by the way. You you didn't pick it up? The first time I watched the movie, I didn't really catch it. And this time around, I knew it was there. And that scene destroyed me. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it destroyed you because it's meant to. <laughs> but we, for me... I, I'm experiencing this and I'm I'm what knowing what I know. I'm watching Rose and I'm watching Sam and Rose says, let's go ride bikes down to the pier or wherever it was. And Sam goes, I don't know how to ride a bike. 
And she says, well, I'll teach you. And there's this long pause of like what feels like 15 seconds. It's probably like three or four. And then you see Rose just go, I'm so sorry. And in that moment, you just know what's happening. And we've experienced that where we've put our foot in our mouths because we've said something that is completely unintentional, but that it could completely wreck the other person. And the way it's delivered, the way that Haley lets that scene breathe, I think is pretty fantastic. And it ends, oh gosh, it ends so great, so poignantly. I don't know the word to to give it. I can't do it justice. But it ends with them embracing each other and just holding each other. And I'm like, oh my word, that is true companionship right there. That is two people who legitimately care about one another and want the best for each other. And I don't know that we see that a lot because most of the time it would lead into either something that's overly sexualized because it wasn't enough to express in that moment or that moment isn't enough to sell it for us. And I think that this is a rare gem in the world of filmmaking where you have that balance of intimacy and romance wrapped up into one because we get not only the attraction physically, emotionally, but also that deep connection between these two hearts of two people that genuinely care and love each other. Totally agree. To- totally 100% agree. Wow. That was almost my connecting point. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't uh, because I have one. And um, if you don't have anything else, if you have any other thoughts, I'd love to dive into our connecting points if you want to. Yeah, man. Um, I would love to do that. I, I think that it was difficult in this film to choose a connecting point because there were several that were so meaningful, which is crazy, again, to say about a, a 90 minute long film and that says a lot about Haley's ability to kind of craft this emotional narrative so yeah I'm all for it yeah. alright well I'll go ahead and get us started and for me I think my moment that stood out above any other was Frank's instrumental montage that was juxtaposed against that bike riding sequence that happened after this moment with, with Sam and Rose And I was thinking about why it was that I enjoyed this so much. Why did I connect with it so much? First of all, I love, love, love the use of a loop, a pedal loop. I have one and I'm terrible at using it because I am not a great musician. I mean, I know how it works, but seeing him on his own, write this song and create a loop of a melody and then layering something on top of it and then layering something on top of that. As someone who loves instrumentals, I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Are you recording this? Because this is amazing. So we we see him doing this creative process by himself and we see that paralleled against Rose teaching Sam how to ride a bike. And I'm thinking, he should be teaching her how to ride a bike. This is what fathers and daughters do. Your dad teaches you how to ride a bike. That's that's a father-son, father-daughter thing. And the loneliness of that and the way in which we see the real distance between 
him and her. I think what this moment does is it defines the moment where Sam and Frank are officially going their separate ways. This is the growing up part of the movie, I think. This is where Sam is growing up through this learning how to ride a bike. She's becoming an adult. She is finally making that transition where she's like, I'm not just my father's daughter anymore. I am now an 18-year-old going to college. I'm now beginning to live the next part of my life. I'm getting ready to do that. And at the same time, Frank is writing a song by himself and he ends up stopping it. Like he stops the whole thing just abruptly. And I want to believe he doesn't lay the track down. Like it just goes away. Like it disappears into the ether. And I felt like that was sort of a metaphor for him saying, it's time to put away childish things. It's time to put away my dream because my daughter and her future matter more than my past. And I've got to be able to sever that. I've got to be able to say, I'm going to let that go. And to me, I thought that moment, that scene in particular, really pushed that idea forward of deciding on when to say enough is enough. My dream is done. It's time for her to have hers. And her dream is to be a doctor. And I'm going to support that full on. And it was beautiful. It was a fantastic moment. I don't know that it would have been nearly as effective had the scene prior to that with Sam and Rose not happened. And so I'm grateful that I had both, which I guess is why it was my close runner up for my connecting point. Well, the scene that you're talking about, man, was uh, was my close runner up for connecting point. And um, it's really amazing to hear you talk about it because while a piece of what we both pulled away from that scene is shared. I actually have a little bit of a different view on it and why it resonated with me. So it was powerful for both of us, but in very different ways. Um, you know, like you, like I said, with noticing that scene about the bicycle, uh, with her and Rose there for the first time, it made this so much more meaningful because we see her being taught by this person that loves her when her mom can no longer do it. Um, then we see the juxtaposition with Frank, like you said, and uh, it reminds me of his line where he had, he told Sam, he says, when life hands you conundrums, you turn them into art. And I feel like this was Frank taking that conundrum and that frustration of where his relationship was and turning it into art. And for me, what I pulled out of this was that Frank was Frank is actually writing the love song that she sings at the end to Rose. That's what he's composing in this moment. And I just thought, gosh, this is so beautifully touching and moving because we were simultaneously seeing two separate but powerful acts of love. Him putting into words and music her emotions and feelings to help her express them. And then Rose teaching her to ride a bike, physically kind of expressing that same love for her back. It just, it was, it was wonderful. I, I agree. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing scene. For me, the one that I f landed on though was the end of the film. Um, and that final concert together. I really love it. Uh, I love everything about it. I think starting off with the fact that Sam comes up with the idea. 
to have this kind of store tribute concert. And the way that she does it is by referencing the fact that the Titanic had a band playing as it was sinking. And I was, I was like, man, that's kind of morbid. Like we're going to talk about your store as the Titanic going down. But, um, but a really cool little movie reference and, and way for her to come up with this idea. And then that concert together. I love it because this is where the slice of life thing hits home for me. And it, I mean, I'm constantly thinking about myself and my daughter. I'm not going to lie. They don't have to be a band in the future. At that moment in time, they just have to be a band right then. They were a band for 30 minutes, for an hour, for whatever time that mattered. They made the the conscious decision together to be a band. And that's all that, that's all they needed to do. It doesn't, it doesn't have to last forever, Patrick. They don't have to be the next Hall and Oates or whoever, the, whoever what, you know, it is. That was enough. Um, and that song that she sings at the end, and this is the one that he was composing, Blink, uh, One Million Miles, her love song to Rose. It's so, so sweet. Um, and I think that in that moment, I think Frank is being a good dad by pushing her to do it because he's encouraging her. And it, and it shows us a great comparison to him putting the song on Spotify without her permission versus him being an encouraging father. Um, that's how I see this play out. And I think it's a wonderful thing. He says in the lyrics to that song where she repeats back what Rose told her. And she says, you told me to be brave and I will remember that. I will remember that. I can't listen to this song without crying. Like it's just, that's how it goes. Um, and that's, and that to me, that's her showing that love right back. She's expressing it in her way, using her art to convey her feelings back to Rose. And then I don't even know if there's a single scene in a movie this year that has made me as happy and smile as big as when he, Frank, and Sam are singing together. And they look at each other during that final song. And there's there's just a look, man. There's just a look between the two of them. And it is the most beautiful thing where they fully embrace this concert as dad and daughter and then they end it in a high five. It's amazing. Like if my relationship can have that moment with my daughter, it doesn't have to be us being in a band because that's probably not going to happen. But like I'm all for that. And he says, Sam Fisher, ladies and gentlemen. And she says, my dad. <laughs> and ah, uh, like, oh boy. Um, I mean, she's like a 22 year old woman or, or whatever going off. She's going to college and she's calling him her dad. Like, like he's not Frank. He's not dude. Um, so that was a big deal, uh, for me. And then I'm going to make it lighthearted, but it's funny because I noticed this. I don't know if you've picked up on this with the Titanic reference, but then at the end, Frank is talking to Rose and he says, Rose, thanks for keeping the ship afloat or helping it sink. You know what I mean? And considering the Titanic reference that was made other earlier and the fact that her name is Rose, I have to believe that Rahaley is, uh, is doing that on purpose, right? There, he has to be, has to be on purpose. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. We can say yes. Yeah. Okay, In our world, good. we can say yes, he did right. But anyway, uh, all of that stuff combined, man, that, that whole ending of this movie is just, 
it's the best. It's the best to me. Yeah, I was thinking about the ending, not only the last scene, but also just the end itself, like how it how it actually ended. And I was reminded of the the Donald Miller quote. If you guys are familiar with Donald Miller, he, he goes, he opens up his Blue Light Jazz, his debut book by saying, I never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve. But I was outside the Bagwin Theater in Portland one night and when I saw a man playing the saxophone, I stood there for 15 minutes and he never opened his eyes. After that, I like jazz. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they are showing you the way. Thinking about the ending, I think this movie ended perfectly. In some ways, unresolved, because not everybody got what they, quote, wanted. Frank ended up working in a bar, but that was okay. And Sam, I think, as you mentioned before, I think she got everything she wanted because she's studying to be a doctor and yet she has the stones to be able to get up on stage and sing for people. And I love that moment at the end where she calls him dad, because to me that validates him not as a musician, but as her dad. And that's the important thing for him. So very cool. Yes. Connecting points all around for everyone. Nodding in agreement. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a big, it's it's a big deal. I mean, anybody who's listening to this, anybody out there who's a dad and watched this movie is gonna is gonna you're gonna get, especially a dad of a daughter, but you know, a dad of a teenager, whatever's. You're gonna watch this again in ten years, and you're gonna break down too. And I'm gonna point back to this moment and be like, "See, it wasn't just." Me. Um, I I just wanted to say real quick. I, I hope this movie's not forgotten come awards time. It's a little indie film and it probably will be. But the music soundtrack from, from Keegan DeWitt, these songs, you know, I, I would love to see an Oscar nomination for one of these. I really, really would. Uh, it's, it's going to be tough to beat anything from By a Star is Born, but whatever. Um, those are great too, but this deserves to be in the conversation. And I think it would really open up people to maybe being able to see this film more and, and learning that it exists. You know, hopefully we're doing a little bit of that, but if it was to get some awards uh, consideration, um, that would as well. So I'm hoping that I can help promote that and that others will recognize it for its greatness. Kiersey Clemens is singing. I don't know if you know that, Patrick, but like that's her. She's an actress to watch. She's, she's phenomenal in this. And Nick Offerman, I have never seen Nick Offerman be this, this good. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, this is a, an, a best actor type performance. And people are not going to think that because it's so quiet or subtle and small, blah, blah, blah. All of the reasons. It's not like he doesn't have some big Oscar moment speech. There's two two scenes, man. There is that moment when she says, Dad, what if I stayed after the concert? Now I'm going to cry again. But the way that his – the look on his face, right? Um, his eyes are red. He's got tears forming. He tries to open his mouth. He can't really speak. It is – the most beautiful and tender thing. And you, you compare that scene and you take that one. And then that moment in the, in the diner, when he is so ecstatic about his song being on Spotify, running around telling people, listen to this, Whoopie pies and Spotify, like his emotional, like expressions in that, in that scene. To me, these two things are screaming award worthy to me. So I, I just am blown away by his performance in this. He's fantastic. I, I don't know that I've ever seen him do drama this well. I mean, he was in the founder and he did great, but this is a this is a 
a further step up. And, and I love it. And I love the fact that most people, including myself, would only know him from Parks and Rec and his ability to make you laugh. I've actually got his biography or um, not memoir, but yeah, I guess it's his autobiography called Paddle Your Own Canoe that I have yet to read, uh, but I want to. It's probably going to make my fall reading list, especially in light of just seeing these performances like this. And you brought up the the idea of his facial expressions. It reminds me a lot of Andy Serkis in a lot of ways, not necessarily from a CG point of view, but the ability to emote, the ability to express a deep heartfelt emotion with your face. I think that's where he shines because his the way he delivers his lines are very monotone. They're very level. I mean, he doesn't get crazy excited. Like even his his conversation with Leslie at the door when he just when when he confronts her, one of the funniest and heartbreaking moments of the movie for me was when he she shuts the door after he's basically just berated her his drunk self and he goes well, I hope we can still be friends. And it's hilarious and awful at the same time. And genuine. You, and very genuine. I felt that way. I'm like throwing, yeah, I felt that way. Let me, let's not get into that. We're, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, he's he's great, man. And I think that he's undersold as an actor just because of the fact that he could do stuff like this and 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 make us feel the way he does. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a deep breath. Let's bring it back and let's wrap things up. Aaron, if people want to continue the conversation with you and give you props for everything you just said, where can they find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at FelanFilm or at FelanFilmAaron. Either one works. I'll be tweeting there. You can find me in our awesome Facebook group, which we invite each and every one of you to come be a part of where conversations are happening all week long uh, with other great film lovers. And I also wanted to mention, Patrick, that our Patreon voting for October is upon us. I will be sending that email out October 1. I love that you're dancing over this. I know why you're dancing, because you're excited. Um, but October 1 through 10, that's the voting period. So if you are interested in obtaining votes to be part of this, you can go to patreon.com slash film to become a supporter like Michael and uh, participate. The, the films for October we're doing are Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors, Monster Qu- Spod, Goosebumps, or Edward Scissorhands. So those are the five contestants for our donor pick episode and i know patrick that you have a favorite so we will see if it emerges victorious or not but what about you where can people find you let me just say i like all those because they're part of our not so scary october donor picks it's just lots of fun so i can i can get behind any of those Uh, but if you want to find me i'm usually poking around uh, facebook and twitter at shoeless patch s-h-o-e-l-e-s-s-p-a-t-c-h Best way to engage with me is just to at me or tag me in something. I get um, that way so I can continue the conversation on anything like that. Coming up this week, we're going to be interviewing Mark O'Connell on his new book, as well as talking about the donor pick for September, which is AI. I actually have not seen this yet. This is a first time watch for me, so I'm pretty excited about that. And then next week, we're going to continue our musical week of fun with A Star is Born. We're ringing on Jeremy one of our feeling film contributors to talk through that. And 
as bonus, we're going to be bringing out some great trivia. He will be hosting that as our as our guy giving us our trivia questions. So at the very least, you get to hear us not answer questions correctly and sound really idiotic in doing so. And he's hilarious. I'm really excited that we're going to have someone to feed us the questions this time, and it's going to be a little less of me coming up with the questions for you and you coming up with the questions for me. So um, we will fail together and have someone present to laugh at us instead of us just laughing at ourselves. But this is the kind of stuff you get uh, with that Feel and Film Patreon supporter badge. So yeah, to get this trivia bonus episode, that's another thing you get from there. Fantastic. Well, that's all for us. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film. software and we don't know what to do.